to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. We're nearing the end of the church year, and so uh, we're getting to the part of the lectionary that focuses more on uh, the end times and Christ's second coming. And so uh, tonight we're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, which is the reading for this coming Sunday. It is, yeah. It's kind of interesting to once again walk through that church calendar. It's good to, the repetition's good. Yeah. It's a good teacher. And then, you know, some people say, well, you you follow a church calendar. I said, yeah. Do you celebrate Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do, do you celebrate Easter? And they say, yeah. I said, okay, well, you follow a church calendar too. Right. <laughs> right. And we kind of have to keep in mind that in some ways, that our church calendar, which is all a little more involved and set up, is basically it just basically hinges on those two big celebrations. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of neat to think about. If yeah. it's just oh yeah, it's and I and I've said to people in a very serious way counseling, you need to think more about Christmas and Easter. Mm. You know, and yeah. they kind of look at me, look, Christmas, Son of God comes in this world. Easter shows that he conquers death in the grave and that he died to forgive us our sins and won the day. Yeah. I said, that's why we celebrate those big things. Cause they're really important. You need to kind of think about those more. Yeah. We, 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 we tend to just kind of celebrate them, but let's think about them too. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. It's certainly a good thing to think about at least uh, once a year. <laughs> and, <laughs> once a day, maybe will. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> once a day. Yeah. Cause that, you know, our, our whole faith, our eternal life hinges on, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Right, right. And there you have it, Christmas and Easter. Yep. And that's, and so that's is, a good thing about the lectionary too, right? It, it does offer a little bit of repetition to be thinking about several different uh, biblical texts and themes uh, throughout the year. And I know that's part of the debate between the one-year lectionary and the three-year lectionary. Some people like having so much repetition that you get the exact same readings year after year after year. There's something to be said about, you know, hearing the same ones over and over. They really do become ingrained in you in that way. But yeah. I like the three-year lectionary as well. There's merits to, to it, certainly. Yeah, you get, you get a little greater variety. Exactly, yeah. And so, yeah, there, there are merits to both. It It's it's good for us to basically get as much scripture as we can. Yeah. Right? That, yeah. That's the point. So as we come near the end of the church here, we kind of start to look at the end of the world stuff. So it's kind of... It's yeah. kind of cute. It's kind of cute on the one yeah. hand. <laughs> yeah. Right. Al- although when you start talking about wars and rumors of wars, maybe it's not so cute after all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Right. Okay. Anyway, back to our text. First Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Great. Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. All right. So a lot here we want to talk about. Uh, we'll certainly get to verse 17 eventually. This uh, is one of the proof texts that people use for this idea of uh, a rapture. And, and we'll talk about what that means and how Christians have thought about that a little bit later. Um, but first, kind of just wanted to go through some contextual things here, maybe starting at verse 13. So, I mean, first of all, the first thing that jumps out, um, the, the Bible very frequently uses the term asleep or sleep as a way of talking about death. We see this throughout scripture, right? Yes. Yes. And, and so here Paul wants to encourage and continue the education of the Thessalonians. Mm-hmm. And this is a very important point. Apparently they were worried about it. Yeah. Worried about yeah, that's death. Thing. Right. And well, okay. Who doesn't worry about death? <laughs> right. Yeah. Got that too. But they were a bit uninformed as to what the gospel promises were. Yes. There seemed to have been some misconception among the Thessalonians that if you died before Christ's second coming, you were going to miss out on something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For some other reason, an amusement park ride just came to my head. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to miss the ride. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're not there in time, but see that, see then that's part of our fallen human nature. We actually think that some of the salvation stuff depends on us, mm-hmm. even to the point of, well, if we die too soon, then we'll miss out. Right. Can't God kind of work around those things. Right. And, and for us who have the counsel of the entire scripture, right. Uh, all the scriptures, it yeah. seems crazy that someone would have this misconception when there's so much talk about resurrection and the promises of resurrection in scripture. It oh, almost yeah. seems to us like, like, how could you think this? But or uh, why, we, would, why, why would, why would you even think that there was a doubt about that? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, but we know like people's, you know, mindsets are a little bit different in the new Testament era. There seemed to be a widespread expectation that Christ's second coming would be soon. Right. Yes. And so um, that probably flavored the way that people thought about these things. There but even then. Re- yeah. But there are also references in this letter that talk about them being called out of their hopeless state. Yeah. That it seems though a lot of the Thessalonians who are the recipients of this letter were not, were not um, Jewish believers. They weren't Old Testament type believers. Yes. They were converts from, from whatever religion happened to be around. Right. For lack of a better word, we usually refer to them as the pagans. Right. 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 And so they they would have had some rather strange ideas about spiritual things and life and death and all that. It's, it's, the, it's the way people, you know, today follow horoscopes and things and think that they actually make a difference. Yeah. yeah. So the Thessalonians would have would have believed some of those pagan ideas and things yeah. like that. And, and so here it comes in, you hear about Jesus. Okay, he's coming back. Well, what if you die before it comes back? Does that mean you're going to miss the boat or miss the carnival ride? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is true. The Whatever tradition or denomination or belief that you come out of when you enter into Christianity does affect the way that you see Christianity, at least at first, right? 
And yeah. so like people who are pagans are going to have a different set of biases and preconceptions than people who are Jews or something else. Right. 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 And, they're going to have, yeah, they, they're carrying with them. And it's, it's such a derogatory term to say pagan, uh, but there's really no better one we have in English. So the unbeliever, the straight unbelievers, yeah. who, but they're not straight unbelievers. So many of them believed in false religions. Right. And, and of course, this is why God wants us to trumpet and carry forth the message of the true gospel. But but the false religions, um, well, every other religion in the world except for Christianity teaches that you get to heaven by your works. Right. So right. to all this, this whole notion of grace, it's going to be foreign to the Thessalonians. Right. Right. And when we say pagan in this context, we're talking about people who worshipped like the, the Greek pantheon or the Roman yep. pantheon, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. They had all sorts of of false gods. Yeah, exactly. And so Lenski, uh, one of the commentators that we commonly turn to uh, before we go into these podcasts, was mentioning that even the pagans would use the term sleep as a sort of euphemism for death in the New Testament era. And so they weren't uh, unfamiliar to this kind of language. But he was pointing out that for Christians – Sleep isn't a euphemism for death. It's almost like a literal way of looking at death. Right. Like so it's not permanent. We're going to wake up. Yeah. I'm so gonna... a euphemism, the prefix EU means good. Mm-hmm. So something that's, that's good, that's spoken, a euphemism. So um, if you're using the word sleep as a euphemism for death, it's just, it sounds better, right? Right. You're just trying like, to make it sound a little bit softening. more gentle. Yeah. Yeah. More gentle. But no, he does make the point that for the for the unbelievers or the false believe the people who believe in false gods, that this is a euphemism to try to soften the blow. Mm-hmm. But for the Christian, no, that the idea of talking about falling asleep, um, we we can use that terminology because we're going to wake up in the resurrection. Right. Right. And and you know, even Jesus talked about Lazarus, you know, he's fallen asleep. No, no, he's died. Mm-hmm. Like, remember that they, they, they well if he's if he's sleeping he'll get better all that stuff. no 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 it's it's more than that right so they weren't quite getting it either so there's always been a little confusion and it's a gentle way and and you know it you don't want to just you don't want to talk about death in a harsh way mm-hmm. so it is a nice way to talk about it but if you're as a as a christian if you're talking about it you do have hope of the awakening right yeah. Okay. Right. Exactly. At Lenski's point. Yes. Now let's talk about one of the other things that Lenski brought up. There were a couple of false doctrines that apparently had been deduced from this passage that Lenski felt the need to write against. Uh, one of them is soul sleep, which do you want to explain what that idea entails? Yeah. There's a couple different things on, or a couple different ideas around soul sleep. Some people think that when we die that our bodies put in the grave and then we kind of, our souls are sort of in a, a sleeping state until mm-hmm. Christ returns. Mm-hmm. And then there's the idea that when we die, our bodies are buried and our souls are sort of in a nether world yeah. until Christ. Re- those are, those are a couple of the false um, ideas that go under the heading of soul sleep. We, as biblical Bible believing Christians don't believe in soul sleep. 
And one of the biggest reasons why is, of course, what Jesus said to the thief on the cross who repented, today you'll be with me in paradise. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, Stephen cries out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He doesn't say, oh, Lord Jesus, in a few thousand years, would you please? No. <laughs> right. And, and, and even Jesus on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit to his, to his heavenly father. So there, there's, the Bible does not know a soul sleep. Right, right. When we close our eyes here in, in the sleep of death, we open them immediately to see our Savior's face. Yeah, okay, this is a good thing to to point out because I think even using the language of sleep as a way of talking about death, it, it can kind of play into some of those ideas. Time. Know- Time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like when we go to sleep, it's not a nanosecond. Right. Like if I'm going to get my afternoon nap, I want it to be at least 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. right. I, yeah. I'm not going to go to sleep for one second. That's not sleep. Yeah. So when we use the term sleep for death, we think there's time when you're in that sleep. Right. right. It implies time. Right. Yeah, exactly. And this is an idea that has crept into the Lutheran tradition, at least at some points in our history. I think Luther believed in soul sleep uh, for a while. I don't know if that was earlier on in his life or not. And And you still hear some Lutherans kind of talk this way about the intermediate state, not necessarily in terms of, uh, you know, soul sleep exactly, but they'll say things like, we don't really know what the intermediate state will look like or the pre-resurrected state will look like. Like, yeah, we, we do. <laughs> okay. I cringe, a, I cringe a bit, you know, because people talk this way as if, as if we're arrogant to say we know. Yeah. Yeah. What, but we, we do know. Well, what, what you, do we know? What do we know for certain about this state? I guess let's it, start there. That if you look to Jesus and say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, <laughs> you get this really wonderful promise back that today you'll be with me in paradise. Yes. Right. So, I mean, that's just clear. Right. You all, you also get King David at the death of his infant son who made this wonderful statement. I know that he can't come back to be with me, but I will go to be with him. Right. So his son was already somewhere. Right. Right. And so, this belief in, uh, you know, a, you know, Enoch walked with God and then was no more. Yeah. So he didn't need, you know, and I think that's cool. I'm a little jealous. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That sounds like the way to go. Let's, let's not die. Let's just go be with Jesus. And, and that's fine. So what we know is that when we die, we go to be with Jesus. Right. 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 We'll, we'll have some immediate, conscious experience of the presence of Christ. You're going to say immediate gratification. <laughs> we, we, we will, we will. Yeah. That's the promise he made to the, to this person who repented and had no time to do any good works to merit Christ's favor, but simply by the words and the experience of being crucified next to the Lord was brought to faith and looked to Jesus. Right, right. Now, I, I know maybe some people have leaned into the soul sleep idea to try to avoid maybe a different kind of error. Like there have been some, not to get too philosophical here, but um, some Christians have embraced this more like platonic idea that uh, our ideal state is one in which we're rid of our body. And like that ideal state when we're our soul is separated from our body and we're with Christ, that's like as good as it's ever going to get. And it almost like disparages the bodily resurrection, right? Because it is like people do kind of jump to that conclusion. If we're going to have this wonderful, immediate, disembodied experience of presence with Christ right when we die, 
like what do we need our our bodies back for right well my answer to that is because we're not complete until we have our bodies back right okay okay right so Mm -hmm. but but that's also part of the dualism that creeps into our our philosophy these days that physical's bad spiritual's good yeah and i know that i personally physically bad spiritually bad (laughs) okay (laughs) that that you know somehow my spirit isn't better than the rest of me right i mean it's we're corrupted we're sinful we need to we need salvation Mm -hmm. oh what a wretched wretched man i am etc but we get into this idea that the physical is bad and the spiritual that's the higher thing and and sure it is but we're also made complete our souls and our bodies okay so it's not yeah. bad. I mean, you know, on the fourth day, God saw that it was good. I mean, yeah, you know, it's it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Then it's very good. Right. When he makes man and woman. So, I, it, and it, I, maybe it's easy to fall into an anti-physical mindset, mm-hmm. but it's not biblical. Right. No, I totally agree. Okay. Good. So, okay. Yeah. So that that's helpful. We do kind of have to walk that line then. So we, we're not going to be totally complete when our souls are separated from our body. But we will have some joyful, conscious experience of presence with God uh, in that intermediate state. And so it's not going to be like total non-consciousness, like the soul sleep proponents. Uh, no, suggest. no, I no, I can't can't see that at all. That's not a biblical teaching. Yeah. Yep, I agree. Okay, good. Uh, that's helpful. Um, so let's move on to maybe verse 15. So for this, we declare to you by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So again, he just seems to be offering some additional words of comfort here to these Thessalonians who are afraid that if they die before the second coming, they're going to miss out on something here, right? He's he's yeah. saying, uh, we're not even going to get to go first. We all get to go together in a sense, right? Right. I mean, okay. So what they were afraid of was that the people who had died before Christ returns were, were going to be lost. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, slow down. We who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not proceed, will not go ahead of those who have fallen asleep. Then we kind of have to jump to the next verse. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the whole idea that those who have died um, will be the first to rise, and that's great. So it's 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 going to happen together, right? Yes, right. And that and that. So this whole idea of oh they're lost, they're lost. No, 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 they're not lost. Right. When people right. die in faith, they're with Jesus. Their bodies will be raised on that last day, but but they're okay. Now in verse sixteen, we get to maybe our first major. Uh, misunderstanding when when it comes to the end times. Linsky was indicating that there are some people who believe that this passage teaches two bodily resurrections, right? Because verse 16 says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And some people have interpreted this to mean that there will be like one resurrection of the dead for Christians and then a separate resurrection of non-Christians that will uh, basically go straight to judgment, right? Yeah, it's a, it, it's a strange misinterpretation. One of the problems is for us, we have that number 17 in there, which makes us think that the next verse is separate from verse 16. Yeah. This happens to us a lot when we read the Bible. 
the references are great. We need them to find things. But when you're reading, sometimes ignore them a little bit. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because what he says is then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So their race, the people who have preceded us in death, their bodies are raised. And then we join them and we're caught up to, to in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Right. So it's kind of this beautiful reunion of people who have died and us who are still alive when Christ returns. Right. Right. And so this isn't somehow teaching two separate resurrections. It's um, just indicating there, there will only be one resurrection that immediately is uh, that immediately precedes judgment. Right. Is right. That work? So, so Brighton in his commentary on revelation writes this. In his writings, the Apostle Paul also refers to two resurrections, one present and spiritual, and the other future and physical. The present spiritual resurrection occurs through incorporation into Christ and as a result of Christ's bodily resurrection. And in Ephesians 2, Paul reminds us here is that firmly they were dead in their sins, but they are so now no longer, for in his grace God made them alive with Christ. Mm. So that... Um, Brighton likes to separate that and say, well, one's the spiritual resurrection and the other later one is the physical resurrection. Okay. That's, that's helpful. Uh, right. Cause the, okay. Yeah. That I think is really um, clarifying. Like there is a sense in which we immediately participate in Christ's resurrection. The moment of our conversion the moment we come, yeah, we, come to, we, we come alive, right? Yes. Right. Spiritual life. We talk about, talk about spiritual life. Christ gives us spiritual life when he calls us to faith through the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. Okay, good. Now let's go on to what's probably the biggest topic of the night. Um, verse 17 is often used as a proof text to support this idea of the rapture. And Christians have a variety of ideas about what this looks like. I, you know, I went to Liberty university and, um, uh, uh, Tim LaHaye, I think, was the one who wrote the the Left Behind series. Right. Or he had some hand in that. Um, and so that sort of idea is the one I grew up with. The rapture is going to be like this moment when all Christians are taken up from the earth. And then there'll be this sort of like tribulation and a series of events that will lead to the ultimate judgment will follow after that. But um the Lutheran understanding of, of the rapture here and being taken up into the air is very different, right? Right. So let's just, <clears throat> a couple of things to keep in mind. In the Old Testament, Joel prophesies that in the last days, and he goes on and on, the old men will dream dreams, young mm-hmm. men see visions, all this stuff. And then that's picked up in, in Acts chapter 2 around Pentecost. Um, and that those words are quoted in these last days, blah, blah, blah. So we believe, according to the Bible, that the last days started basically at the day of Pentecost. Right. Which is a very different teaching from a lot of the Christian churches. Yes. We also do not get into this idea of a literal thousand year reign of Christ on earth. Right. Now, the reason, one reason is that Jesus very clearly said, my kingdom is not of this earth. Mm-hmm. He didn't say, my kingdom is not now of this earth. My kingdom is not of this world. Right. So 
okay, how do we have a millennial kingdom of this world if Jesus himself said, my kingdom is not of this world? Yeah. So well-intentioned people look at these and try to read into them and things like that. And 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 quite, as Lutherans, we think, well, no, you're not quite right there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you've got the end time starting at the day of Pentecost. You have you have what happens is that as we die, our spirits go to be with Jesus and our fellow believers in heaven. We believe that Jesus will return to judge both the living and the dead. And when he does, then you get into this idea that that is voiced in verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So when Jesus returns, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven, okay? Mm-hmm. And I like that, with a cry of command. Yeah. And he, he, he calls the dead from the graves, and he calls us to meet him, we join those who have been called out of their graves, and, and we simply go without dying. We join them, and we go to be with Jesus together. Right. As he's descending. As he, yep. He's right. coming. Then we are alive, we're left. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Right. Right. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, okay, so the word caught up in Latin is the word rapturo. Okay. So that's where the rapture word comes from. It's a it's a biblical term. It's the Latin translation of the Greek word harpogmon. Okay, in Latin it's rapturo. In Greek it's harpogmon. It's it's the same word that's used in Philippians two that Jesus did not consider he called equality with God something to be grasped. So the idea of harpogmon or rapturo, it's a it's a grasping. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use it, think about a shoplifter going through a, a mall or a store and grabbing something. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. So we're caught up together with them in the air. It is the harpagmon in Greek, the rap, rapturo in Latin. And so we can talk about the rapture. We're just using the Latin word for the Greek word instead of the English word caught up. Right. Okay. Okay. So yeah, we believe in the rapture, but we don't believe in all the millennial teachings that surround it in so much of modern Christianity. Right. Right. So that that's really helpful because like just defining these terms and understanding what they mean according to our theology compared to maybe some other theologies is yeah. really helpful. And it helps to, you know, facilitate discussion with other Christians and see where our, our differences lie. Cause I think there is like a lot of talking past each other, like even just saying or asking the question, do you believe in the rapture? So like we would say, yes, yeah, but, <laughs> right? mo- but not lot, in the way that you might understand, right? Might understand it. And a lot yeah. of Lutherans would say, no, I don't believe in that stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but but yeah. here it is right in the Bible that we're going to get caught up together with them in the clouds. Yeah. Well, that's the rapture, folks. Right. But not all the rest of the stuff that seems to accompany. Because this is a really comforting teaching. Yeah. This is a great teaching. You know, here... These Thessalonians are are concerned about those, their friends who have died. They're concerned that, oh, are they lost? And Paul says, no, 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 no. What's going to happen to them is, first off, they're already with Jesus. Mm -hmm. But their bodies will be called out of the graves as we're caught up with them to meet Jesus in the air. And so we'll always be with the Lord. Mm -hmm. What a great comfort. And then verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. In other words, get it straight. People who believe in Jesus are going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that these words are meant to be an encouragement 
is something that we should meditate on for a bit because I feel like a lot of Christians use these end time texts as something that they're like fearful of or like like people are always like looking for, for clues, trying to piece it together as if they're like unfulfilled prophecies, and especially right now with everything going on in, in Israel. Like so many of my non-Lutheran Christian friends have been in a frenzy about, um, you know, trying to piece this all together with end times prophecies, trying to figure out when the rapture is going to take place. You just see a lot of that kind of thing, especially in American evangelical Christianity in my experience. You do. And it is kind of sad. Therefore, encourage one over these words, but so often end times and rapture things are taught in to almost like a scary way. Yeah. Yeah. Or as if they're like something that we need to do, like as an, as a nation to help these things come to fruition. Yeah. Right? That's the, that's the current thing too. Even creeping into Lutheranism a bit about, we need to somehow steer the nation or take over the nation as Christians and some of this mm-hmm. odd stuff. And I, I think we need to relax and encourage one another with these words that Jesus is going to come back and take us to be with him forever and ever. Right. Right. Yeah. right. That's just, that's just hope beyond hope, beyond hope Yeah. that um, our, our dear Lord Christ, because he, in first Corinthians six, it says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise up by his power. That's nice, huh? Yeah. And 2 Corinthians 4, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's from 2 Corinthians 4. So here the idea is that as more and more people come to know this wonderful message of forgiveness and resurrection, that's glorifying to God and comforting to, to us. Yeah. And comforting to the people with whom we are able to share that message. Right. Right. Not scary, not weird, not, oh, do we have to figure it out? Do we have to put the pieces together? What's going to happen? Oh, my goodness. God does not want us to have our anxiety increased because we're looking to him. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, cast all your burdens on him. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, come unto me, you who think you're okay, and I'm going to make you more anxious. <laughs> yeah, right. He didn't, he didn't say it. He wants us to be comforted and calm. And that's why Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians where he says, you know, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Hmm. I've, I've used that verse so many times in so many sermons at funerals. We grieve, mm-hmm. but we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Right. We have hope. Yep. Even in the midst of, you know, wars around the world, wars and rumors of war, there's, there's always something bad on the news. There's, and you know, friends who have health issues and people need surgery and people are depressed and people are out of jobs and the economy sucks and all that stuff. Oh, for Pete's sake. I need some good news. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And we have it. We have it here in spades, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. All right. Any final we, thoughts before we close tonight? I think I just gave them to you. <laughs> good. Okay. Good. Excellent. Okay. Do you have a prayer to uh, close us off this evening, Will? Yes, I do. Okay. Then we bow our heads and pray. Oh, Lord. 
We pray that the visitation of your grace may so cleanse our thoughts and minds that your Son, Jesus, when he shall come, may find in us a fit dwelling place. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.